Okay, I'm glad you're here. Um, we're in a very, uh, very wonderful time in the year. Um, we're just uh, about to approach uh, the month of Adar, which is the, the month of Simcha, the month of joy, month of redemption in a lot of ways. Uh, an amazing, amazing month. Um, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit uh, and the connection between Adar and, and Nisan, uh, between the hidden and the revealed. And also, um, just this word Adar itself is, is, very, is very interesting, especially since it's coming at a particularly, particular time in terms of the, the ordering of the, uh, the, 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 the Torah uh, parshot that, that, that we're reading. Um, and um, let, me, let me just tell you uh, what I have in mind exactly. You see, right now we're starting to read about the building of the Mishkan, um, which is sort of translated as, as tabernacle, which is, for me anyway, kind of a mysterious word. I don't, I don't know what a tabernacle is exactly. It sounds like a, a type of fruit I would never buy, you know, <laughs> or, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like just, um, it's just, um, I don't know, it's kind of a bizarre word, but, but the word Mishkan, Mishkan is, is something else entirely. Now, Mishkan, which we're building after we get the Torah at Mount Sinai, and there's this amazing um, debate among the, the Torah commentators about the building of this Mishkan. So, so in other words, it was, it was physically speaking, it was, it was a sanctuary, but it was more than that. And it was the prototype for the Beis HaMikdash, the, the Holy Temple in, in Yerushalayim. So, but, but more than that, it was a miniature of the perfected world. So it was a microcosm of the universe. And interestingly, it's a microcosm of a human being as well. So, so you have this overlap where simultaneously it stands for the perfected person and the perfected world at the same time. And if you think about it, there's not a redundancy there, but rather it makes perfect sense that in a perfected world, you have a perfected person, and vice versa, if you want to bring a perfected world, how do you do it? Through the perfection of the human personality. And then that gives you both. So you, they both exist simultaneously, very, very intentionally. And so, so the debate among the, the Mepharshim, the Torah commentators, is to what extent is this building of this Mishkan, which God commands us to make, to what extent is this a fixing for the Chet Egel, the sin of the golden calf? And to what extent were we supposed to make it even if we had never worshipped the golden calf? Now the reason why this debate arises is because the traditional answer, sort of the classic answer, is that the Mishkan is a fixing for the sin of the golden calf. But if that's the case, why are we getting the command to build the Mishkan before the entire event of the golden calf. So if it precedes the whole incident of the golden calf, then maybe we were supposed to build it anyway, even if we hadn't. So then maybe it's not a rectification just for the golden calf. Or maybe, or maybe, you can say the following. And based on what we've been saying up until now, I'd like to suggest a reconciliation between the two. So, you see, 
As I mentioned, the Mishkan is a microcosm of a perfected world and also of a perfected human being. And different aspects of the Mishkan correlate with different body parts. For instance, the Mizbeach correlates with the stomach, right? Because the Mizbeach is where you would bring the actual korban, the actual sacrifice. So, and it would burn up. So that's kind of like the stomach. You know, the, the Holy of Holies correlates with the brain. And by the way, you know, I saw from the, um, the Shemi Shmuel that the, that the soul resides in the brain. Okay, we see that, you know, it goes in the blood as well, but, it, but sort of the headquarters of the soul is in the brain. So it would make sense that the Holy of Holies would also correlate with where the brain is. And also the, the, um, the menorah, that's, that's what gives light, that's like the eyes, and there's all sorts of, all sorts of correlations um, between the Mishkan and the human body. But also there are correlations between the, the Mishkan and, and the cosmos as well. Like the upper aspects of Shemayim, of heaven, are like the Holy of Holies, and then there's a curtain, that's like the Rakia, Right? That's like the sky that separates this physical dimension from the spiritual dimension, even though it's all one. Nonetheless, they're sort of partitions, so to speak. And so, so Rabbeinu Bechaya spells it out, but, but there's a way of correlating the actual structure of the Mishkan to the cosmos, to the physical universe as well. So, so let's, let's try to solve this riddle together. How it could be that on one hand... It looks like we're going to get the command to make the Mishkan anyway, without the sin of the golden calf. And yet, the classic answer is that the Mishkan is the fixing of the golden calf. Okay? So I think the answer lies in this, this duality, um, this overlapping purpose of the, of the Mishkan itself. That on one hand, it, it, it represents the perfected world, and on the other hand, it, perfect, it stands for the perfected human being. So now, let's start with the idea that it stands for the perfected world and go deeper into this idea. And then we'll double back to the other idea and you're going to see how it all comes together, God willing. So, so you see, you know, Chabad is very big on this. Like, all the, all the Lubavitcher Rebbe's bring down this thought very strongly that God desired to have a dwelling place in this lower world. That that's this whole idea of God creating this physical universe. It's kind of like God, so to speak, on some level was kind of expanding his domain and, and now wanted to exist within this realm of physicality. Right? And that itself was motivated by an act of love to further share his love in new and increasing dimensions. So now God is sort of opening up shop in a physical universe, but why? In order to share his love and now to have a dwelling place amidst this, this physical universe. Now this, this is sort of um, epitomized by the building of the Mishkan, because this sanctuary is going to be, so to speak, the headquarters of godliness in the world. Now, now the idea is and this is, this is a very fundamental idea. And, and see, a lot of people stop there and they go, oh, okay, so God just wants like the sanctuary and the sanctuary is holy. But that's, that's the smallest piece of it. The reality is, is that our, our mission 
is to turn the entire world into a mishkan. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. And that's where, that's where people get lost. And, and, and that explains sort of the riddle of the narrative digression that's about to take place in terms of the unfolding story of the Jews leaving Egypt. What I mean by this, and the Ramban brings this out, is that, you know, you've got this amazing, this amazing adventure that's taking place. The Jews are slaves in Egypt. And then there's plagues and wonders. And then we get out of Egypt. And then there's a splitting of the sea. And all the Egyptian warriors chase after us. And they get swallowed up in the sea. And we escape. And then the man, like bread from heaven, starts falling. And then we get the Torah at Mount Sinai. It's heaven coming down to earth. Right? All of this is happening. And now, all of a sudden, we're going into the chapters of the building of the sanctuary, of the building of the Mishkan. And they're very detailed chapters. And it seems like all of a sudden, it's gone from this amazing human story into, you know, architectural digest. It's like, like what happened? <laughs> like, where, where, where did this amazing story go? And then the whole next book, Vayikra, Leviticus, is all talking about what goes on in the Mishkan. Okay, so... And then the narrative picks up again in terms of the 40 years in the desert, and then we've got stories again. But the point is that when we leave Egypt and we get the Torah at Mount Sinai, then we get this amazing command to build the Mishkan, meaning to say, to turn the entire world into a dwelling place for God. That's what all these chapters of all the construction is all about. That's what it's all about. When you are confronted with an interpersonal issue. What are you doing, man? You're sawing planks of wood for the Mishkan. It's like it's a measure. Like Midos, what you want to do, what we're commanded to do, what we must do in our lifetime, is to fix our Midos. That means we have to fix our personalities. Right? You don't want to get too angry, but at certain times, anger is demanded. But when anger is demanded, you don't want your heart to be angry. You just want it to be a mask of anger. So, because anger in the heart is akin to idol worship, says the Gemara. So, in other words, you always want to measure. You want to be loving and giving, but the Talmud says, don't give more than 20% tzedakah or you're going to go broke. And then you're going to need tzedakah. So, you don't want to be too giving, right? You want to be loving, but if you're married, just love your wife. You know what I'm saying? So, it's like... It's, it's, you have to, you have to measure your midos, your personality things. And everything has to be just right. Now, midos means measures, measurements. When you're constructing the mishkan, everything is a precise measure. So the rectification of the world is this much, but not that much more. Or that much, not that much less. Right? You, that's, that's what it is. That's what it is. Now, I'm going to tell you something very, very, very deep. Very deep. In my opinion, anyway. So, so this is a Torah, and you should all just... Anyone who's hearing this right now should feel very privileged. Because this is a Torah from the Magalia Mukos. Okay? He's one of the greatest, greatest, highest, deepest rabbis ever. Okay? He's basically, he's living in the beginning, late 1500s, early 1600s, and he was the chief rabbi of Krakow. 
At that time, to be the chief rabbi of Krakow meant that you were number one in the world. Okay? If you know the name the Shach, the Shach is one of the main commentators in the Shulchan Aruch. This was the Shach's Rebbe. So the Megali Mukos was the deepest of the deep and was visited by Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, many times. Says it on his tombstone. And he was way out. Like, really... You know, this world and the next world were like he was seeing everything. Now, now I said a Torah last week. I said in the name of Rabbi Wolfson, I didn't realize that it was from the Magali Amukos because it was blowing my mind the whole week. Every person I met, I was telling this Torah to. And then I went up to this guy. It was like this big uh, event. And he was like running this event. And so it was like he was in business mode, right? And so... So I went up to him and I said, "Listen, you got to tell me a you got to tell me some Torah." And like his eyes kind of popped out of his head. He's like, "I'm not ready at this, you know. Like I'm like right there are hundreds of people here that I'm in charge of. I can't like stop and just tell you divrei Torah right now." So I said, "Okay, I'm going to tell you a divrei Torah." <laughs> and I started to tell him this 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 Torah, the the uh, Hishiani. You can vehishiani. That's in uh, that means to deceive. That's when the snake puts the zuama, the the spiritual toxin, into Adam and Chava, into Adam and Eve after we eat from the tree of knowledge. So this word, this word, if you break it down, is the letters hayesh and ayin, which means yes and no, which is what we asked right before a Malak attacked. We said, is God in our midst or is He not in our midst? Is he here or he's not here? So, so this, um, the Hishiani, this word, in other words, the snake is putting doubt into us. It means deceived. This word means deceived. Chava says to God, God says, what did you do, Chava? And Chava says, the snake deceived me. So this word deceived means doubt, right? Because the snake kind of confused us. I mean, it's a very complicated story, but, but that's kind of it bottom line. And there are spiritual ramifications till this day about what this, what, this, what this doubt is. And it's yes or no. Basically, this, this word doubt contains the words yes and no. Hayesh means yes, here, God's here with us. Or ayin, no, he's not here. So this is, this is from the Magali Amukas. Right? So, so now... Let's get back to this idea that the Mishkan, that our mission is to turn the whole world into a Mishkan. Okay? So the Megali Amukha says the following. If you look in Breshis, it's um, chapter 28, verse 16, that's where it starts. And it's Yaakov Avinu is, 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 is running away from Esav. Esav wants to kill him. Yaakov just got the brocha. Esav wants to kill him. And, and Yaakov Avinu is, is journeying away, and he travels by this spot, and then all of a sudden he realizes at a certain point, wait a second, I just went by the spot of the Akedis Yitzchak, right? Where Abraham put, put, put Yitzchak on the altar, right? Where, where Noah's Ark landed, right? Where, where God took the dirt that he made Adam out of, right? All that took place on the... I, 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 by the base of Mikdash, right, which is the 
where the foundation stone was, where the first physical point of the universe that God makes the entire universe out of emanated from. And Yaakov Avinu says, how could I pass the spot and not pray to God? So now it's about to be Shabbos. Okay, the sun is setting. And he's got to get back to the spot because he can't travel on Shabbos. So Hashem does this miracle of Kfitzas Aderech. He shortens the path miraculously. And Yaakov gets back to this spot. And Yaakov Avinu sleeps there. And that's where he has to dream about the ladder ascending to heaven. Right? Its feet are on the bottom, and then the ladder goes all the way up. That's one, one there's many interpretations of it, but that's one bit of imagery of, of, uh, of what the Mishkan is, of what the tabernacle is. It's that connection, it's that ladder between heaven and earth. It's also a bit of imagery of the rectified human being. Because when Adam Arishon, when the first person lived, they say, the Talmud says he was a hundred Amos which is like 400 feet tall. Now, what does that mean exactly? Basically, we were creatures of light. It's one way of understanding where we were. And that when God clothes us, He gives us garments of leather, it says, when we're leaving Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. But on a very deep level, that can be understood as physicality and skin. So the idea that we were basically of great height you know, just that's basically we were existing on a different spiritual plane at that point before we ate from the tree of knowledge. It's, it's, it's deep, but that, those are the contours of the thought anyway. Anyway, so the idea of this ladder with its feet on earth stretching all the way up toward heaven is an imagery of the perfected human being. Right? Heaven and earth together. Okay. But now listen to what uh, the Magali Amuko says. If you look... Again, chapter 28, verse 16, if you look at that paragraph there, Yaakov Avinu wakes up and he says, I, this is after he has this dream of the ladder, and all of a sudden he says, oh, I didn't realize I was sleeping in Hamakom. Hamakom means the place, the place, right? So, so meaning the base of Migdash, like it wasn't appropriate for me to sleep here, okay? I wonder, by the way, this is just my private... Uh, uh, question if um, you know the Chabadniks basically basically the, the widespread custom is that um, you sleep in a sukkah and that you ought to sleep in a sukkah the Chabadniks don't sleep in the sukkah because on some level you can ask a Chabadnik about it they'll give you more information than I know but basically, it's too holy to sleep there. That's the bottom line, I think. They'll give you more details of what they mean exactly. But, but um, I wonder if in some way it's not drawn from this, if there isn't some connection to this. Because it seems that when Yaakov Avinu wakes up, he has a little level of regret because it felt that it wasn't appropriate for him to sleep there, that it was such a holy place. Anyway, if you look at this word, hamakom, and interestingly, Makom is one of the names of Hashem. Place is one of the names of Hashem. Because Hashem is omnipresent. Hashem is everywhere at once. He fills all space and time. So that's why Makom is, is, Hamakom is one of the names of Hashem. And by the way, that's why this name, if you look at the words of consolation that someone gives to someone else, 
In the Jewish tradition, when, um, when, when they want to comfort them after they've uh, lost someone, we, we say that Hashem should comfort you, along with all the mourners of Zion and Yerushalayim. Hamakom yinachem eschem betok sha'ar avlei tzion Yerushalayim. And so we use this name for Hashem, Hamakom. And, uh, and why do we say Hamakom? Because that's a very unusual usage. Why don't we just say Hashem, Yudke Vavke, or Elohim, or something like this? So the, the answer, as I understand it, is because part of the consolation is that people should understand that their Neshama, their dearly departed one, the one that who loves them, has not departed from them. That God who fills all space, that that Neshama is included in the omnipresence of God. And that's a comfort to the person. If they know that the Neshama of the departed one hasn't just disappeared, but that I exist within the infinity of God, and this soul still exists within the infinity of God, then there's a real connection that's ongoing even after the soul leaves the body. So, again, we're just zeroing in on just different levels of this word, hamakom, the place. But, but let's uh, zero back into what we're discussing, okay? We're talking about how it could be that there's a debate among the rabbis as to what the purpose of the Mishkan was, the tabernacle was. On the one hand, it seems like it was a fixing for the sin of the golden calf. On the other hand, though, we get the command to build it before we worship the golden calf. So seemingly, it would seem that it would be a commandment to do it even if we had never done the golden calf before, right? We also said, just to review, that the Mishkan is a miniature of the perfected universe and a miniature of a perfected human being as well. Okay? So we have that. Now... Now we're doing the Torah of the Megalia Mukos. That when Yaakov Avinu slept in this spot, Hamakom, that this was the place of the Beis HaMikdash. Okay? This is where the earth was first formed. Because remember, Kabbalistically speaking, we were talking about the Big Bang theory thousands of years ago. Meaning to say, our tradition is that God took one physical point of existence and then expanded that point till it was the entire physical universe, which sounds exactly like the Big Bang. There's an explosion and then all of a sudden just matter, 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 matter. Right? And by the way, if you, if you go online, I just saw a video. It it's, looks like a little Kabbalah s- s- seminar. Uh, they're looking for something now called the God particle in the... In the um, cyclotrons in, in Europe, okay? And, and basically, I, I watched a video. It was like a three-minute video. It was, it, was, it was on, if you said, if you put a rabbi in front of it and said, and now I'd like you to understand the concept of tzimtzum, right? You, you'd go, all right, that, you did a great job, you know? It's just, and you know so much science, rabbi. <laughs> it's really, you know, so... Anyway, the point is, let's just get to the, 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 the Torah from the Magali Mukos now. He says, if you look at it, this paragraph, you've got the word makom is mentioned three times. 
Okay? Now listen to this. This is really far out. Because what did we say? We said that the Makom is where the Beis HaMikdash was. And the prototype of the Beis HaMikdash is the Mishkan. Okay? And the, our, our job is to turn the entire world into a Mishkan. Okay? A dwelling place for God. Okay? So now, the word Makom is mentioned three times. Now, the Magalia Muko says that that, you see, Kabbalistically, there are four worlds. There's Atzilus. Now, that's the highest. That's like beyond, 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 beyond. And then, if you can think of like um, H2O water vapor molecules being condensed into ice. Okay? That's like Tsimsum. Basically, God takes his light, his infinite light, and he compresses it, and he compresses it, and he compresses it. Just like, imagine, water vapor, that's H2O. When it gets compressed, compressed, it becomes water itself. It's more physical, more tangible, but it's still the same substance, H2O. And then you compress it further, it becomes ice. Still H2O. The exact same substance. But you see how it goes from like a vapor or something ethereal into something very hard and concrete. That's what God did with the physical universe. He took his light and condensed it, condensed it, condensed it until you have the physical universe. But there's one seamless continuity between the physical and the spiritual. Okay? Now maybe we'll, if we have time later, we'll discuss the connection between Parshas Yisro and Mishpatim and how the word Ve'ela is talking about that same dynamic. Maybe we'll just do it very now quickly. The idea is like this. There's Parshish Yisra, when we get the Torah, it's totally supernatural. Totally supernatural. The desert mountain springs with flowers. The mountain itself catches on fire. There's thunder and lightning. We're hearing colors and seeing words. Our souls are flying out of our bodies. Totally supernatural. Then, when that account ends of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, all of a sudden you go right into Parshish Mishpatim. What's Parshish Mishpatim? If this person's ox gores your whatever, and he does it a certain amount of times, and it's like the most detailed civil laws. And you're like, well, wait a second, man. One's spiritual, the other's mundane, and there's no real connection between the two. Oh, you're religious. I happen to be a barrister. I'm a lawyer. Talk to me about copyright law. Don't talk to me about keeping Shabbos, right? Because that's spiritual stuff. I'm into here and now law. So the Torah is telling you, it's all the same. It's all the same. And they connect it with this word, ve'ele, because that's the first word of Parshas Mishpatim. In other words, after the whole supernaturalness of Parshas Yisra, when we get the Torah, the first word we get is ve'ele. And Rashi points that out. He makes a big point of Be'ele. Why? Because it's a really interesting construct, that word. Because Ele usually means to change the topic. Okay? And that's what we think. We think, well, wait a second. God's talking about supernatural stuff. Now he's talking about the here and now, very mundane matters. Ele. God switched the topic of conversation. But Rashi points out when you have the word Ve'ele, when you have a vav in front of the word ele, no, it's not coming to switch the topic. It's coming to maintain the same topic. Meaning to say, God is making a special point of saying, you think this is ele? That's your predisposition to think that I'm changing the topic? Nah, I'm going to tell you what I know you're thinking, ele, 
And I'm going to put a vav in front of it to show you that it's exactly not what you're thinking. That it's all connected. That it's all one. So the physical dimension and the spiritual dimension, getting back to the whole H2O type of thing, right? Light being condensed, right? From water vapor to ice, from the most ethereal to the physical, is one seamless continuity. Okay? That's ve'ele. Alright? Now, we said the word makom, which is the name of Hashem, and it's also the name of the area of the Beis Migdash. Right? The Holy Temple, which is the Mishkan. Right? That is the Mishkan. That's the prototype. The Mishkan is the prototype. The whole physical universe. What was the first point of the physical universe? We say God starts with one particle. One bit of matter. It was the foundation stone in the base of Migdash. So in other words, this idea of the holiness of the world of the spiritual headquarters of the world. The entire world is made out of the spiritual headquarters of the world. The entire physical universe to the farthest reaches of outer space are all a subset of the Beis HaMikdash, of the Mishkan. Right? That's why that's the first physical point of existence. That's what God uses to expand and make the whole out of Okay? And now I'll throw in another level. Listen to this. You know, you can find this on the internet. And I'm not making a big deal out of this. Just consider this a PS, okay? But it's cool. The Magen David, the Jewish star, the shield of David, however you want to call it, it's two interlocking triangles. Now, there's just something interesting. You know, I'm not making a big deal out of it, but just you should know about it. Within all of the angles of the Jewish star, the Magin David, you find all the Hebrew letters of the alphabet. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see, because you're like, how could that be? And they say, and I would certainly believe this, that no other language can, can do that. Like, so, 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 so what is the whole, what is the whole Magin David anyway? What is the whole Jewish star anyway? So it's a triangle pointing up and it's a triangle pointing down and they're interlocked. So basically, it's the upper worlds and the lower worlds combined to show you that it's one world. And why does it include all of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet? Because God used the Hebrew letters to create the physical universe with. And if you want to understand each of the, of the Hebrew letters as different energy wavelengths, And these are the symbols of the different energy wavelengths. That's how I understand it, at this point in my life anyway. But but there you have all the different letters in a map of the cosmos. In other words, God used these letters to create the cosmos, and there is the map of the cosmos. Okay. But again, we're still getting to the Magali Amukos. So, in this account of Jacob sleeping in this area of the base of Migdash, the word makom is mentioned three times. And the Magali say says that, this, that these three mentions of makom, hamakom, are Kabbalistically the three worlds leading up to Atsilus. So you have Atsilus, the highest emanation, then you have Berea, then you have Yitzira, then you have Asiya. And why three and not four? 
Because when you already get to the upper dimension, to Atsilus, that's beyond, 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 beyond. Right? But what you see here is something very, very deep and fascinating. You see that God's intention in creating the physical universe is to make this world into a sanctuary for his dwelling. Do you hear how deep this is? That each of the worlds, as it comes down into a more from a spiritual level to a concrete level, is a different iteration of the Mishkan itself. Right? And remember, Makom also means place. That God is, that God, even though there are more and more garments coming on top of him, so to speak, in terms of nature and whatnot, even though God fills all of nature as well, and exists beyond nature. Remember, that's always an important distinction that we have to make. That we can't just say God is the world and the world is God. Believe it or not, that's a different religion. That's not Judaism. We have to say God made the world, fills the world, and exists dimensions beyond the world. Very important. But nonetheless, you see this amazing correlation with this word makom, which stands for the Mishkan, right? This dwelling place for God, and God himself. And you see it in three places correlating with the three spiritual dimensions below the highest spiritual dimension, which is just beyond. Can't even put a word on it, a shape on it. And then all of a sudden it comes down into this world. So now, let's return back to the original question. This now is the idea that we have a command to build the Mishkan even before the sin of the golden cat. Because you see how this all correlates with Hashem's original intention for the universe. To turn the world into a dwelling place. And there you see it also in terms of the blueprint for the universe. You see, you see the Mishkan is, is all over the initial blueprints of the universe. So, so that's, that's beautiful and far-reaching. Okay? Now let's get to the next level. Ah, but... Many of our greatest, 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 greatest rabbis, if I'm not mistaken, including Rashi, is saying that the Mishkan is, is, a, is a rectification of the sin of the golden cap. So now, how do we understand that? And now, so, so, so basically, you know, I've given a bunch of talks on the sin of the golden calf. And um, if you put on golden calf on, on, in the search mechanism on, on my site, Torah on iTunes.com. You can find some of the talks if you're interested. But, but basically, I heard in the name of the Brisker Rob the, the following thought, which makes a lot of sense to me. What was the problem, the, the basic problem? Just kind of cutting aside all the philosophy and all the depths. Let's just get right to it. What was the basic problem with the sin of the golden calf? So if you say, well, we made an idol, yeah, we, we kind of did, but, but, and by the way, it was the Arab Rav, it was the other nations that Moshe took out of Egypt with us that made it. It wasn't initiated by the Jewish people, just on a strict accounting level, that's important to keep in mind. Um, but nonetheless, we were implicated in it as well. What was the problem exactly? You know, we have a very odd happenstance. It's not a happenstance, it's a commandment. God tells us to put two golden angels on top of the Aaron Kodesh 
in the Holy of Holies. So we've got two golden statues of angels in the Holy of Holies on top of the Luchos, on top of the Torah tablets that we, have the, that we got on the top of Mount Sinai. What are those doing there? Right, is that the epitome of an idol? Well, you know what the difference is? God told us to make those. God didn't tell us to make the golden calf. All right? So, when we made the golden calf, we made it on our own. And there was a fundamental shift which makes all the difference in the world. And listen carefully. We decided at that point how we are going to worship God. See, all of a sudden, instead of it being a top-down thing, which is what truth has to be, if there's a God, I must take my marching orders from God. I must. I must. God must be the final authority. I must. It has to be that way. If I'm the final authority, then I'm God. That's, that's what it is. And as Rav Moshe Shapiro says very insightfully, that, that the essence of idol worship is not worshiping an idol, it's making a God out of yourself. It's the essence of it. A rectified relationship is when we understand that God is running the world, that God is the boss. And then the bottom line is, is that we fail and we don't always get to the level that we need to get and we make mistakes. But we understand that that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what I'm trying to do. Right? That's what I'm striving to do. But once we go like this, I can't do it. Therefore, I don't have to do it. And who says, I say, that little shift in the personality is real, that's where it all goes downhill fast. It could be, God, I, you know what? I, I, I messed up, and I'm going to try again, and I know you love me, and I'm going to try again, and I don't even know if I'm going to succeed. I don't know if I'm ever going to succeed. But I'm not going to stop trying. Remember, Shlomo Melech, King Solomon, the wisest of people, says, what's the definition of a righteous person? Someone who falls down seven times and keeps on getting back up. So you would tell me that the definition of a righteous person is someone who never makes a mistake. Right? Remember we have Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. Mashiach ben Yosef. Yosef is the one who never makes a mistake. Yehuda, who's the model of Mashiach ben David. Yehuda is the one who makes lots of mistakes. But he's the one who, who keeps on coming back to God and tries to fix everything. He's the one that the ultimate Mashiach comes out of. You would think it would come out of the person who never makes mistakes. It's not the case. So the righteous person, according to Shlomo Amelech, is the one who never stops trying, who fails seven times and keeps on getting back up. That that effort to get back up, that's the essence of righteousness. So, so the sin of the golden calf, where do we go wrong? Where do we go wrong? We said, God... We're going to tell you how we're going to serve you. You know, imagine. Now I was having a discussion with some friends and we were talking about halakha, which really means it's translated as Jewish law, which is a bit unfortunate. It's a bit totalitarian sounding. Uh, it's a bit of a drag. Halakha means the way. It means the flow. And it's how you get in harmony with yourself and with the universe. Okay? That's halacha. That's what we want. We want halacha. Okay? 
So, so halacha ultimately has to have a bottom line. And I, I gave an example, which is, imagine the king says to you, can I please have a cup of coffee? And you say, yes, king. And you bring him a cup of orange juice. It's like, I asked you for a cup of coffee. Yeah, but I wanted to give you orange juice. You see? What's going on? (laughs) I don't know. Who's running the show? Who's running the show? Yeah, but from my heart, I gave you orange juice. I understand. Thank you for the orange juice. That's not what I asked you for. So, so, so after the sin of the golden calf, we need the perfection of the person because it's the human being that got out of whack. It's the human being that got out of whack. And so the Mishkan, what did we say initially? That the Mishkan is a microcosm for the perfected person also. Not just for the perfected world, but for the perfected person also. You see, and so in building the Mishkan, and like we say, in doing the exact measurements, right? Because measurements, mitos, are measures, and this is also the rectification of interpersonal dealings and personality traits, okay? By building the Mishkan at that point is also the fixing of the human being's character. Remember the Medrash, I'm quoting it all the time, but it's so important. When Hashem asked Adam HaRishon, the first person, in the Garden of Eden, to name the animals. He names all the animals. And then the Medrash picks up on one final chapter of the story. Hashem says to Adam, and what is my name? And Adam says, Adoni, my master. So we understand intuitively, very clearly, that God is our master. And so this is the rectification of the sin of the golden calf. When we decided that we were going to tell God how we were going to serve Him. The rectification comes as building the Mishkan, which is the microcosm of the perfected human being. And then we get that right. Okay. And so now, so now let's put it all together. Now let's put it all together. You see, before we did the sin of the, the, the golden calf, The goal was to turn the world into a mishkan. And that's why we got, that's why we got this mitzvah even before the sin of the golden calf. Right? Because we need to perfect the world now. We have to take the energy from Mount Sinai and now fix the entire world and turn the whole world into a dwelling place of God. After, and we were, and we were prepared to do that. We had the the spiritual might to do it at that point. After the sin of the golden calf, when we showed that we were still flawed as human beings, God says, you know something? You've got to fix your personality first. You know how you're going to fix your personality first? By building the Mishkan. And once you rectify yourself with this Mishkan, the whole world is going to fall into place. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. It's, hopefully you'll get the connection. It might sound like a non-secretor, but it's really on this subject. It's a funny story. But it's a, it's a true story. It's told as a true story. So Reb Shlomo tells this story. It's, a, it's, a, it's about the Sanzer Rebbe. So it goes like this. And this is in the book Lamed Vav, which is an awesome book. If you don't have Lamed Vav, you should all buy Lamed Vav. Okay? So, um, 
So, so uh, there's a person, and his father's very, very sick. He's got tuberculosis, and he's like, you know, basically having a seizure, whatever it is. He's coughing blood, and it's, it's terrible. So he's like, oh my God, you know, what am I going to do? He says, I've got to take him to the Rebbe. I've got to take him to the Sansa Rebbe. So he puts him on a cart, and he takes him to the Sansa Rebbe, and the Sansa Rebbe takes one look at him, and he says, listen, you've got to give him hot coffee. Black, hot, strong black coffee. And he says, strong black coffee? That, that'll kill him. He says, give him strong black coffee. And he's like, oh, all right. So, you know, the Rebbe said so. So he gives him strong black coffee, and his father gets better. Then sometime later, his father's coughing up blood. It's even worse than it was the first time. He's too weak to take him to the Rebbe. And he remembers, the Sansa Rebbe told me, told me to give him strong black coffee. So he gives him strong black coffee, and he gets even worse. Right? And now he's really dying. And now he doesn't know what to do. So he puts him on the card, and he takes him to see the Rebbe. And the Rebbe says, what did you do? He says, I gave him strong black coffee like you told me to do last time. He says, are you crazy? That's the worst thing that you could do. So the son says, what should I do? He says, give him strong black coffee. (laughs) So he gives him strong black coffee and he gets better. (laughs) So it's a little like... It's, it's a little like the, the story with the Mishkan, if you, if you hear the, 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 the logic. First, we're supposed to make the Mishkan, right? And then, after the sin of the golden calf, we can't make the Mishkan anymore because we're broken people. So we're like, God, we're broken, what should we do? God says, make the Mishkan. <laughs> make the Mishkan, now you're going to get perfected, now you're going to be able to turn the world into a perfected place. And so, let me end with this one last story. One of my all-time favorites is just so simple and fantastic, you know, which is a father. A father comes home from work. He's tired. He's like, oh, it's had a hard day. He's got no energy whatsoever. And one of his kids wants to play with him. And it's a young kid. And he's like, I, 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 momish don't have the strength. I just don't have the strength. So he wants to buy himself some time. So he takes a sheet from the newspaper that's got a, a complicated map of the world. And he rips it into like a lot of different pieces to make a jigsaw puzzle out of it. And he gives the, the pieces to his young son. He's just a kid. And he says to him, you know what? When you put all the pieces together, then I'll play with you. So a few moments later, the son comes back and he says, I did it. And he can't figure it out. It's like, how does the kid know like all this geography? It's impossible. So he says, how did you do it? He says, on the other side was a, was, was a picture of a human being. And when I put the picture of the person together, the whole world fell into place. So you see, that's this level, that's, this is where we're at right now. That when we rectify ourselves, the world is also going to come together. You see? And, and I'll just say one last thing about unity. See, I'm, I'm just sort of like thinking about unity, because people, you go to different talks and things like that, people tell you, the Jewish people have to come together. We have to come together. The whole world's got to come together. But especially the Jewish people have to come together. And then that's going to bring the redemption, basically. And so I've always been thinking of that in terms of politics. And like shul politics and social politics and different philosophies of what is Judaism exactly. And, you know, people are confused. So I've always thought about it on that issue. And then what, to what extent do you say, you know, pluralism, right? Which seems like compromise because we know there's truth, there's Torah to met, there's truth. And you, 
can't mess up the truth, but at the same time, how do we get everyone in the same tent together? All these challenges, okay? But lately, just today really, I've been thinking about it more on a level of energy, you know? See, the thing is, is that, like Rabbi Tatt says, basically, it's a longer teaching, but just to cut to the punchline, so to speak, the Jewish people are the connection between heaven and earth. This is our job, to combine, to connect heaven and earth. So what happened at Mount Sinai? Heaven came down to earth, right? And by the way, Islam and Christianity both say the Torah was given at Mount Sinai. So everyone is holding by this paradigm of this idea of heaven coming down to earth and the connection of heaven and earth, right? So, but we Jews were there, and we know what happened there. So we, we have our story. So we, we're sticking with that. So, so the bottom line, though, is this idea of heaven and earth coming together. You understand? Now, understand this on an energy level. If all of the Jews are unified on an energy level, then heaven and earth comes together. And that's the rectification of the world. Do you understand? It's very simple when you think of it in those terms. And you can understand at that point why this, why this, why this, why when people say unity, it's not a platitude. It's not a platitude. It's not just like, hey, hey, let's all love each other. It's also true. But it's, there's really something magic that will happen when we're unified. Something universe changing is going to happen when we're unified. And I heard a teaching, and I'll end with this, from the Ishmitzer Rebbe, that says that when, when Yaakov Avinu was about to tell the, the, his children about when Mashiach was coming, when the end of days was about to occur, he says, gather round, meaning his deathbed. But the Ishmitzer Rebbe understands that, that he was telling them how to achieve the end of days. If you all gather together, that's going to do it. And it's the simplest idea in the world, and yet, to build that Mishkan, to get it all together at once in the right measures, we see it's taking us thousands of years. So it's, it's not so easy. But if at least we know what the goal is, you know what I mean? Can you imagine someone is wearing like an 800-pound backpack? Where are you going? I'm not sure. <laughs> that's, that's a problem. If we can at least know where we're supposed to be going, that's a lot of it right there. Because then someone maybe can help you, Right? You know, if we all help each other and we know where we're going, then we can get there. Okay, Hashem should bless us all with unity and the perfection of the world.